Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we've got another special episode. I love this one because our special guest today, Suman, is relatively new to the country. He's only been in Canada for two and a half years. Originally from India, he came to Canada on a work permit. He's one of those super smart IT kind of people. And he got sparked, he got really interested in real estate investing. Not only did he get interested, he took massive action. And imagine this, coming from a foreign country to a completely new place where you've got no background, no knowledge of how things work, not a lot of knowledge about real estate investing, because I don't think that's what he did back in India. He hit the ground running, got educated. And in this very short period of time, he's created a portfolio of 28 rental units. And Suman is based in, in Woodstock, Ontario, but his portfolio, I don't think any of his properties are in Ontario. He's doing everything from afar in different provinces, in, uh, I believe, in Alberta, in New Brunswick, in Newfoundland, in more landlord-friendly type areas. So, Suman, great to have you on the show again. Welcome. Thank you so much, Dave. And yes, you're right. Like majority is outside because I had initial couple in the Ontario, but then, you know, you are right, you know, move on to more landlord friendly, like, uh, and that perfectly makes more logical sense for me. And uh, also, you know, I have been expanding in the States because, uh, you know, diversifying not just provinces in Canada, but the also states in the United States. Well, tell exactly. us a little bit, tell us a little bit about the, the backstory, Suman. So, originally you're, you're from india originally what sparked first of all what sparked your interest in coming to canada and then once you got here how did you become interested in real estate yes so um i came to canada on a work permit so my full-time job is in it consulting so because of that i got the opportunity to first go to singapore then states for three years and then because of the situations there, like I was on a work permit in States. Mm -hmm. So my organization, then they moved me to Canada. So that's how I came to Canada in 2019 okay. on a work permit. And from the real estate perspective, I had a couple of properties in India, but those were like uh, not the investor way of buying. Uh, okay. So back in 2015, I had two properties, but... It always fascinated me, like when you see the portfolio, you know, that, okay, I own this house. So that fascination was there. But mm -hmm. of course, you know, it was not the investor way, the way we think here. So well, well, let, let me ask you about that, Suman, because it's fascinating. Yeah. What is kind of the typical mentality in your area of India? Because India is yeah. huge. It's yes. now the most populous country in the world. I think there's 1.4 something billion Indians. It's a huge, huge, huge country. It's almost like a bunch of different countries in one, different languages, different cultures, different everything. But from where you come from in India, when people think about real estate investing, what does that kind of look like? So I don't know the general one. I can tell you my approach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for me, Initially, I was so naive that I thought that, you know, you just buy any real estate and it's going to turn into gold. So, you know, that was the kind <laughs> just, of mentality. Just any, any, so were, were the properties you bought, was it raw land or were the actual? It was just like uh, in the apartment, single family homes, you can say like the in Canadian pay, the condo uh, right. that we have here. 
Mm-hmm. So those were like, we have to go to the bank, the saving, the traditional way that we buy here. Mm-hmm. But over there, I think interest rate is at 9% when I, 9% interest. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I hear you back when I lived in Costa Rica many, many, many years ago. Now we had a mortgage and we had a really good interest rate. And if I'm not mistaken, it was 21%. Wow. That's a lot. That's <laughs> well, it was a, a local lot. currency, right? With And with right. devaluation and inflation and all that kind of stuff, that right. actually wasn't that bad. I think the credit cards were 55% interest. Oh it, it was insane. It was, yeah, just crazy. I feel that way 9% is better than. <laughs> so anyhow, so you had a, yeah. a couple of rentals, I guess, back in. A couple in of the, rentals. Um, yeah. And uh, we did not think in the way of analyzing those kind of thing. It was like, okay, it's a building, just buy. So, you know, back in 2015, uh, the mentality was that, okay, just buy real estate, but we don't do the analysis the way we do now, you know, yeah. the due diligence, all those things. Well, you did, You probably didn't have any education about Nothing, nothing, no education. And I, that's why I want to stress to your audience that education and the right community is mm-hmm. absolutely essential. Learn from other people's mistakes, right? Yeah. That's very important. So I came in Canada, uh, and then when well, I became well, well, first of all, you went to the states for three years. Yes, three years. Did, that was did you do any from. real estate investing down there no. at that point? No, because okay. over there also, like when we are on a work permit, uh, we have a lot of limitations out mm-hmm. there, and my main focus over there was surviving for the project because yeah. everything in the country your stay is dependent on the project oh so wow that so very very strict very strict and you know your margin of safety is very less because you are solely relying on the project mm. uh, so there again the administration thinks you know uh, it may us uh, even the renewals were getting very yeah. challenging so, so that's when you decided to move to Canada, a little bit more stability think, for you. Yes, more stability and the lifestyle and everything, the infrastructure, everything similar to US and you know it's in proximity to states. So it made more sense to be here. Yeah. And uh, this is more like the processing times for getting the residency is much better, more stability, as you rightly said. Okay, so you got to Canada, you're your working situation's a little bit more stable. Yes. You're you're still working as a uh, on a working visa. You're not a uh, a resident per se or a, a citizen yet. Is is that yeah. something that you're working on? Uh, so I now I'm a permanent resident. So what oh, happened was yes. So in 2019, uh, I was on a work permit. So more or less similar situation as in states but good part was i was parallelly focusing on the immigration and the residency so in 2020 uh, november i got the residency and that's where i was like okay at least i'm stable here even if though, so that one problematic area was eliminated yeah now i'm no more dependent just on the project yeah i can do additional things and right plus you the, can you can get a different job if you want job, to tied to job one. One all company. those things. Yeah. So I took a switch in my uh, organizational role as well. Yeah. Joined in as a senior consultant, and that's where I also started my real estate journey. Okay. So then, what 
what sparked that Suman? Because big difference between getting educated and becoming a, uh, a more sophisticated real estate investor versus what you're doing in India. What kind of sparked that for you? Was there something or someone that really got you going on that? I think the spark was always there, like that fascination of the properties. It's only that here I cannot, without the right education and support, I cannot do. It was just because of the residency limitation, uh, I was not able to do so. The moment I got the residency, spark combined with the freedom i started to and i explore the things so that was there so spark was already there back from india now now you had the ability to turn that into a flame exactly exactly okay so what did that what did that first part look like how did you find how did you get connected how did you start learning and this is 2020 so this is right in the midst of the pandemic yes happening so Exactly. So those kind of stress. So I was in basement in Mississauga. So one of the motivation was to get us out of there. Yeah. Uh, so that was there. And because I was just learning, so, you know, not, st- and again, I'm still learning, um, you know, real estate, there is a lot to learn, but yeah. I know a few things more. But at that time, the first priority was to get out of the basement, but at the same time, try some creative financing strategies. So, you know, like private lending, using the promissory note, all those things. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, I tried with, because I have some good connections in the IT industry. So, and, you know, some family. So I tried with the near proximity, but still the creative ways, because now the thought process was changing. Yes, we can do and scale with creative financing. So, so what, what did your first couple of deals look like, Suma? Yes. So in March 20, uh, 2021, I got a single family home because I was not still acquainted with the concept of multifamily. But you know, uh, I started with the creative side of it as well. So the first deal was a single family home in Woodstock where I'm staying. And uh, the second- what kind, was, what kind of a creative deal was it? Yes. So it was more of partnering with my friends. Okay, so like a joint venture. Like a joint venture? Yes, you are right. Joint venture and uh, private lending with friends and family too. So that was a mix of there. Uh, Similarly, another property in Woodstock we got with partners. Uh, So these were my couple of deals. And then after that, in 2022, my focus shifted towards multifamily, like the commercial ones. Uh, and so then I started to pivot to six plus units. Uh-huh. So uh, what happened now? Then I bought. Then I started mixing up long distance, like the concept of landlord friendly provinces, because here there are a lot of restrictions. You cannot increase the rent. You cannot shift the tenants very easily. Did Did you have any experiences that kind of really brought that home to you? Uh, fortunately, not in Ontario. Okay. Like I have got great tenants. So one more thing, good thing that we did was uh, this single family home where I'm staying right now, we converted to a legal duplex. So that was again a good experience. So uh, now you know the rental income is supporting us even better. So you're kind of house hacking. Yes, you are nice. right. Nice, nice. Uh, All right, very good. House. So so then you you discovered multifamily. 
and you figured out that Ontario is not where you wanted to do it because it's very yes. tenant friendly and landlord unfriendly. Yes. So what was your first multifamily property deal? My first multifamily property deal was an eight unit in Newfoundland, St. John's, Newfoundland province. Okay. So, so that's where uh, we went more advanced in the creative. So that's like we got VTB uh, seller financing on the first position and remaining was like private lending. Uh, nice. So I have, yes. So after the first two deals or rather in the second deal itself, my journey of capital raising started like uh, i used to contribute my journey and go to a lot of networking events so uh, another point i would like to share with your audience is that uh, your presence on social media and uh, it's like you know go out there to networking events because that has helped me a lot in you know getting partners and raising capital and this is the feedback I got from my investors. Like, you know, I asked them. So going back to my first um, multifamily. So it's first position seller financing. Yeah. And then, you know, I had built some connections and we did private lending to close the property. And uh, it's... In so the so what does private lending mean to you, Suman? When you say yeah. private lending, what does that yeah. look like? Yeah. So private lending is more on a promissory note that I do. So it's like a one year, uh, one and a half year kind of a duration, open-ended uh, private lending by investors, you know, who are looking to make uh, good returns as compared to what they currently have. Okay, so, so if it's on a promissory note, then there's there's not very much security for them on yes. that kind of lending. It's really a relationship-based thing. Relationship. They they know you, they like you, they trust you. Yes. So they're working. Yes, it's basically an IOU. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Exactly. So uh though that's called as you know the unsecured one, the returns are better, but again it's on relationship basis or you know they're coming to me through a strong referral and you know naturally we we make so sure on, on that first deal, how much private money did you need to raise and and how many people did you have involved with that one well the first one was like around 80k uh, that i had to uh, borrow yeah and also with my partners you know we did that together so you know we split the cost and everything so that's where uh, we did the private lending for the first year so 80000 total is what you needed to raise for that one so 80 for my part okay total, yes so 160. I see. Yes, All right. Yes, yeah. So you're doing half. They were doing half. Exactly. Very, very cool. All right. And then the next deal, what was it? Where was it? Uh the second deal was again in Woodstock. That was like a pure JV uh between three of us. And uh, we split accordingly. So for them, I leveraged my community for my part of the private lending. Was it, so a, we, was it a multifamily property? Or what oh, was it? single family. So the first two, single family. Oh, no, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Your next, multi, uh, multi, we talked multi about. Multifamily. Yeah, your next multifamily. What was that? Oh, one? yes. So, yeah, for that multifamily, it was like 83% from the seller. So we had to raise like 90K from on the private lending. So, so that was an easy for us because majority the seller was taking care. Okay. And then so, the, so the that, next one after that one? 
the next after that time. one was uh, in new brunswick eight units so that was a significant uh capital raising so and it was during the december time you know when all the investors are either in disney florida <laughs> so that was a challenging one so uh i think we raised 490k total uh that yeah so that was a good investment capital raising experience for us uh because so uh, so when you say us who are you referring to how uh, you and yeah. the other partners yeah, me and the other partners, we had to raise uh, that much capital, like close to 500k. Uh, and that was the challenging because everyone was on a vacation because it was during the time for December end. Mm-hmm. And the closing was, I think we closed in January 22nd. So earlier it was January 5th closing. So the good part was we got good references and one or two people had you know good funds six figure funds so that helped us in you know so you didn't have to have a whole bunch of investors on that deal you right now were they still unsecured investors or were these people looking for security yeah one of them in a different properties Mm -hmm. uh, but you know others are all on private lending like unsecured unsecured all right so suman if you don't mind sharing i'm just curious it it seems like these out of province um, deals that you're doing, the multifamily yeah. deals that you're doing, you're partnering up with one or more other active investors, yes, general partners or whatever yeah. you want, want to call you, right, right, and then you're you're all going in on the deal and you're all bringing on your own investor partners. Can you kind of walk us through? Yeah. How does how is it kind of structured typically when you're yeah. working so with multiple typ- other partners? Right. So typically, I have more of you know the JV structures because you know we all are like in the deal. We make sure like whoever is there, they are all like you know actively working. And uh, some of my partners, they have been here in uh, the country for a long time. They have got good HELOC and all those things. Mm-hmm. So we leverage those things as well. So. That's the main. So usually the structure I would say is kind of 50-50, 50-50 or 30%, 33% each. And then, you know, we leverage our investors on the private lending. So that's the usual route. So we mainly try to have like private lenders on yeah. board uh, because we try to keep it to three, four people, you know, whom we closely know and, you know, who are real estate investors and, you know, who who are there in terms of the work as well. We don't okay, want so yes. are you working with different partners on all your different properties or is it kind of a consistent? More or less the same, more or less yeah. the consistent yeah. uh, because yeah. you know we are starting to understand each other, how things work yeah. because you know that's very important uh, in terms of relation and how you work. Uh, so majority we keep with the known people and the same kind you've of you've got theory. you've got your tight group that you're yes deals yes, with exactly. oh, that's cool now how did you guys decide besides the capital raising thing so when it comes to the raising the capital do you divvy that up that each one of you needs to bring on half or a third of the required no. capital or or how does that part work so usually because of the good relation we have you know, we all give our best, but there is no set ratio that you get the same ratio and all those things. Uh, so we under, have that understanding amongst each other. Uh, 
because at the end we all are achieving the same goal and that's the reason i prefer you know like minded people mm-hmm. because you know the more you are working with like minded people the kind of hassles you minimize not eliminate but you, you minimize them yeah and i'm i'm just thinking of, of human nature a little bit suman so yeah. when it comes to other responsibilities with the deal how do you how do you guys determine who's responsible for what as right. the active investors so we all are active because as i said like you know we all are real estate investors who are working on the deals yeah so we don't have any uh, or at least like you know the way we work is we all are working closely like for example the new brunswick deal or new finland so whoever we have the partners you know we are working on the same goal for example if you have some kind of work where i am not available then that person takes care so there is no set like okay due analysis of any financial only this kind of so we are working as a team there there is no like okay i will be doing the acquisition part or someone will be doing the capital so it's, it's all kind of mushed together yes yes so because right now the scale of deal or the amount of multi family so we we usually look for 6 to 12 unit right now that's our spot and we play in the range of 500k to 1.5 million deals so that's where we are so at this moment we don't need like you know full segregation like acquisition asset management capital raising Mm-hmm. uh so we all like divided in a way that okay these are the tasks and that way we will divide because everyone has their own family commitments or maybe some hamster so that's how we are working as of now and it has yeah, i i i think that's that's an okay way to get started suman yes um just being the old guy that i am and yes. having been through the ringer a few times and Absolutely. had a few partnerships and marriages that didn't work out yeah <laughs> <laughs> I would highly highly recommend yeah. that you come up with some kind of written agreement right. amongst your partners right. uh sooner rather than later just because life happens my friend and yes and it reminds me of a business relationship I had early on where I joined forces with a buddy right. and it started off great and then sooner or later it got to the point where one of us i'm pointing yeah. at myself seemed yeah. to be carrying a lot more of the load right. than the other one and then my i i i can just remember we worked together for what was it five five or six years and towards the end of that right. the the relationship really soured because i was just getting more and more pissed off this guy, my my vision yeah. was this guy was just kind of sloughing off and i was doing all the work but he right. was getting half of the benefit right. so you know i'm not telling you what to do i'm just giving you a- I, i got your point so <laughs> in our jv agreements what we do is like uh, we have the scenarios like you know the lawyer drafts out the what if you know someone dies those kind of things are there and right now because speaking our people are you know extremely you know close and that way and even if you know that worst case has to happen it will be in one or two portfolio like in the properties we are okay but yeah as we 
because now we are scaling so yeah. because now we are going for bigger multi family bigger people like more people want to partner that's where we are introducing these roles like i was just talking to we are also planning to go to texas you now for our next mm-hmm. acquisition uh, so we are right now working on the structures and all where you know our we were talking with our attorneys um, so there we will have these components what you outlined like you know this person these are the responsibilities those kind of thing so now those are coming in place like these deals what we did were like in the smaller scale mm-hmm. for our definition plus very close knit people like extremely yeah. close knit people but yes you are right and it's absolutely valid point what you are saying so that we are applying now as we are scaling to bigger multi family like now we'll be targeting for 25 plus units and yes. yeah you definitely more- Definitely yes. want to kick it up a gear there. Now, one of the things I really love about your journey, Suman, so far is, <laughs> is you just really went for it, especially on social media with connecting with people. Because again, like we were talking about, you landed in this right at the in the midst yeah. of the beginning of COVID, lockdowns, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So talk to us a little bit about how you use social media for your real estate investing business. Yes. So one word, if I can say, is the value. No, that's the most important thing. And I also did not realize I was doing this unless, until few people, you know, investors told me the feedback. What I used to do is, uh, wherever I'm going, you know, some networking events, or if I'm learning through a deal, because many things we learn even in deals, right? Yeah. So I was sharing them. If I'm reading a book, I'm very I love book reading. I'm not very consistent, but I still, even if I go through the content one or two pages, I feel I have learned something new. Mm-hmm. So I used to share those learning, uh, recommend some people some good books, connecting. So I got the tag of you know that this guy is a connector. This guy is into social media and. Then suddenly, uh, my first post for this, the second Woodstock property I posted in a community. I just posted, you know, looking for capital raising, and I laughed out with my wife, like, "Who even will bother to you know, invest with us?" And then suddenly, people started messaging me that, you know, we want to partner, and that was like a light bulb that social media uh, and the networking events plays a very important role because. You know, unless you are extremely highly connected, people, you know, having high net worth individual access already, you need to be visible because people need some form of another to, you know, gauge your energy, enthusiasm, mm-hmm. what kind of, you know, consistency you have and what kind of work you are doing. You know? So people have a picture and they can see a trail of how things are going. So that way I feel social media and networking is extremely important in capital raising, getting partners, getting opportunities, like, you know, being in this podcast, uh, you won't believe uh, one very highly influential real estate investor knew me because I was in the previous podcast with you because (laughs) you are so established that Uh rubs on your guest positively as well, you know. So people say, hey, I saw you. So one of the investors actually told me that I saw you in my friend Dave Dubu's podcast and I was so amazed. Nice. Which cascades in a very beautiful way to you. 
Oh, that's wonderful. So, and thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yes. And I've got a couple of questions about that. You said that you, you used to share what you were doing and, you know, books that you were reading. How were you sharing that? Were you just writing stuff about that? Just, or were you film? Were you, what, what would you recommend to people that aren't comfortable doing that to get started doing that? Also, that's a very great question because this is the common pain point I've heard from many people who reach out yeah. to me. And thanks for asking that. So for me also, if someone is talking to me, I mean, I'm comfortable in camera, but alone, it's very tough. So what I do is mainly I'm uh, through pictures and long form content. Mm. So majority of the feedback, positive feedback I've got for long form content, uh, because if you can write well content, that's one of the way, you know, you have, you can add massive value to people. Uh, and I'm mainly on Facebook, LinkedIn. These are my two main places, majority. Yeah. So through the long form content, I used to uh, you know, add value. And second, I would say, which I'm next going to be is like, you know, if you can do videos or even try to do, you don't have to be perfect. Just start speaking as if you're talking to someone. Mm -hmm. Because there are two kinds of audience, you know, one who are good with reading. So if you have a picture and few content, they will prefer that more than the video. Yeah. And another kind of audience is, you know, they like the short form video content where they can get the message quickly and move on to the next. So Interesting. If you can, yeah. If you can blend these two things, you are targeting majority of the people. But what I what I also hear, Suman, is is don't. You don't necessarily need to do both things. Right. In your case, you were much more comfortable writing than you were yes. filming yourself. Yes. Now you're starting to get more comfortable filming yourself. So you'll probably do yes. more of that. Yes. But just do something that you're exactly. comfortable with consistently. Yes. So, right. okay. So what is, what does that look like? How often do you recommend that people post things on social media, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn? Right. So best advantage is if you are into long-form content, that's, uh, that I would say is a good start for anyone like me who is, you know, starting off or, you know, they feel nervous about because when you are writing, it's more easy. So I would say, and the advantage is you can use that in different platforms as well. You know, just mm -hmm. restructure. There are some strategies. But at least post twice or thrice a week minimum. Hmm. Uh, I usually post four, five, you know, depending on the calls that I have or the networking events or if something good is happening. Mm -hmm. Two, three times a week is minimum yeah. because you need to warm up the social media platform. You know, there's a whole section about algorithm optimization, uh, but the bottom line is the more you are treating your social media platform well, the more the platform is helping you to reach to your wider audience. All so right. No, that, two, that's to three. two to three times a week to get started with. If you're comfortable doing videos, do a little video type thing. Yes. If you're more comfortable writing, do the writing with pictures. Yes. But just Even if nothing happens, something. yes, at least start. All I tell people is if you are nervous or wondering what to post and all, at least start, you know, we yeah. all are doing something or the other, right? Real yeah. estate or anything, just start and then you will start getting feedback from people. You will start getting idea, but 
definitely leverage the opportunities. No, that's wonderful advice. Thank you for that. So one of my main concerns about social media and capital raising is around the Securities and Exchange Commissions, both in the States and provincial securities regulators in Canada. So you you said earlier that your your first kind of kick at the can was you put out there that you're looking to raise capital. You did that on social media. What's your understanding of what you can and cannot do in order to be compliant with securities? Yes, uh, that's again a very important and a great question. So mainly, you know, real estate investing, there are inner circle communities, that's one. Uh, from the securities perspective, and again, this is what I understand is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, equity, if you're raising and you know, they are not active partners and they are like completely hands-off, that's where you know the security comes into place, and there is a very good book by Bigger Pockets on raising capital, uh, where you know they talk about the four points in order to meet the security. So one of them I think is you know completely passive, uh, hands-on, uh, and the second is if they both are, if you both are winning together or losing together, that's more in the security. But even if there is a relation where one wins and one loses, you know, kind of private lending the debt. Uh, that's my understanding. That's not part of equity. So, you know, I would highly recommend the book Raising Capital uh, by Bigger Pockets public, Publication. Mm-hmm. I don't know the author's name, but there are four bullet points. Maybe I will share with you and you can share with your audience. Mm-hmm. Those four points are a great uh, guidelines for you know adhering to securities. And if you are going for too many passive investors or you know you want to raise with too many where you know the jv model joint venture model doesn't justify it's always great to engage or hire a securities lawyer you know who can make the documents for you yeah so well let's let's say it's you know a lot of our clients are what i call you know mom and pop real estate investors yeah. that are basically when they're getting started they're looking to bring on joint venture partners yeah. they'll probably all be on title on the property, that sort of thing. Um, so you you talked about public social media versus closed groups. Can yes. you explain to me a little bit about that. Yes. So main thing is uh, like when I so first of all do I would recommend like not to discuss like you know this will be the terms conditions and all those things. Yeah. You know, just tell that this is the property and you know there will be opportunities and then discuss that you know one-on-one kind of thing and again like make sure that when you are giving equity to someone they should not be like completely passive or hands up that's what i learned from some of the attorney uh, that we talked to that's the main thing mm-hmm. like uh, and another which i feel is like you know family friends and accredited investors Mm-hmm. These three probably are very essential in order to the security thing. And again, as I said, so I never would recommend someone like saying, you know, hey, we are raising this, you will get this much equity percentage. Those kind of things are definitely not put in the social media, mm-hmm. especially in the public forums. Uh, it's always good to add value, build relation in social media. And then when the opportunity comes, it's better to talk about the deal in the right one-on-one. way. One-on-one. Off, take it exactly. offline. 
yeah, yes, take it like, off socially. Your social media post should not be like a capital raising post. Yeah. It should be like, okay, I have this deal. Uh, you know, there are opportunities. Uh, reach out to me if needed. And then talk to those people. It should not be like a full uh, document kind of a post where, you know, these are the terms, this is the equity, that structure, you will be completely passive. That wouldn't go well. Fair enough. All right. Again, good points there. And you guys, if if you're thinking about, because here's the problem. I see so many people doing it wrong on social media and putting their deals right out there and saying X percentage and hundred percent hands-free and, you know, passive, et cetera. And they get away with it for a while until they don't. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No. And and here's the challenge, you guys. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it several times right. where even people doing things right, yeah. if the securities gets on, if you get on their radar, they yeah. can make life living hell for you. And, and the stress yes. that you go through, uh, yes. having to lawyer up to defend yourself, whether you win or lose, you lose yeah. yes. big time. So be very, very careful. And I always recommend when it comes to social media and yes. raising capital, Yes. The only thing you should be doing on social media is like Suman was talking about is providing value, sharing with people what exactly. you're up to, not exactly. doing any overt capital raising, not doing yes. any overt asking, educate, right. get people reaching out to you, create curiosity without it coming across as a capital. Yes, raise, exactly. And take that communication off social media. Yes, that is and the post which I mentioned, it was in an inner circle because people there are more matured and understanding. And another thing is like, you know, I just said that this is the deal. You know, there are opportunities. If anyone is interested, uh, you know, let's talk about Yeah, it. that, that might be okay in a private closed group. Yes, sir, but I sure exactly. as hell would not put that out yes. there on my the profile public. or, or yes. anything. And even in, in closed groups, I'd be very, very careful about yes. that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, if, if, it's, if it's something that's like a mastermind where everybody's paid a whole bunch of money to be part yes. of that. Yes, it's a little bit safer, but if it's one of these free, you know, like I've got a Facebook group, which is closed. People have to, you know, apply to be in there, but they don't pay anything to be in there. Yes. Not the best ones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, you know, I would suggest there are so many great knowledgeable attorneys, accountants, like, you know, don't try to cut down on, save on those costs, get those structures and the right advice at the right time. It mm-hmm. will save all of us in the long run. That would be my suggestion to everyone. And as you mentioned, right, like, you know, social media, just keep it for uh, value and updates, like, you know, mm-hmm. what's happening, but nothing about capital raising. Good points. All right. So, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Facebook or LinkedIn? Uh, Facebook. That's uh-huh. like um, where I'm most active. So, yes, if they search my name. Uh, they'll be able to get it for sure. <laughs> All right. Very good, my friend. As always, a real pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing your journey and yes. your experience and your and your uh, your knowledge around the whole social media thing. Uh, I think what you're doing is is fantastic and I wish you continued success. Thank you so much, you know, for sharing your experience and guidance with everyone and including me. I learned a lot. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode.